before Eileen comes back to read the scripture reading, I want to take a moment to explain it to you. For those of you who aren't regular here, what we do in our practice is to preach our way through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, week by week. And for this segment, we're in the second half of the book of Joshua. So in your bulletin insert, I've given you a, an outline of the second half of the book of Joshua. You know, really, by the time we get through, you should be able to actually, after a sermon, the ideal is for you to be able to go back home and read the text and understand it. But then we need to anchor it in its context, its broader context. So in this sermon, I mean, in the bulletin, there is a, an outline of the theme of each of the chapters in the latter half of Joshua. So for this morning, just before we have this reading, I want to focus in a little bit more detail on Joshua chapters 14 and 15. So in Joshua 14 and 15, we have the beginning, well, actually, Joshua chapters 14 and 19, we have the land is divided among nine and a half clans. Subdivision within that, chapters 14 to 17, the land is divided between three of those clans. And then chapter 18 to 19, the land is divided among the other six clans. In the middle, there's what you could call an intermezzo. Between the two land allotments, there's this little piece, a reflection. Now, all I just give you the broader context here. The other reason I do this is to show you that if you sit down and read this, it's incredibly detail about something we don't care about, i.e., for us, it's incredibly boring. But the author obviously has something in mind because he's carefully structured it. Land allotment, land allotment, and in the middle he's got a little reflection on what's going on. So it's carefully designed and we want to explore what's the author's point. God speaks to us through Scripture. So we want to hear what is God saying to us through what God said to them. Okay, so moving on then. Within chapters 14 to 17, you have the land allotment for three clans. And then in 14 to 15, there we are, you have the land allotment for Judah's clan in particular. And that divides into two pieces. As he allots the land of Judah, first you have the borders, the external boundaries of the land are identified. And then you have the towns within Judah are identified. Boring right so far, right? But there's something going on here. Right. And we can see that because of the structure. Because while his focus is on the land allotment of Judah, and first he has the outer boundaries, and then he has the towns, individual towns within the boundaries, then he has this little anecdote about Caleb, a little vignette about Caleb. Caleb is allotted land, and then all of Judah, the boundaries are sketched. And then Caleb appears again. And in this time, uh, Caleb conquers two of the towns in his land, and then all the other towns are identified. That helps us understand what the author is trying to say. But with that background, with that structure in mind, then Eileen will come and read the portion that we're going to focus on today, which is chapter 14, verses 6 to 15. Thank you. Please turn with me in your Bibles. To Joshua 14, verses 6 through 15. This passage can be found on page 161 in the Pew Bible.
Joshua 14, verses 6 through 15. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today. 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. May God be honored by the reading of his word. Just before we go take a look at the life of Caleb and what we can learn from that, uh, many of us have been following the Morrison family as they made a decision to, uh, to adopt a, a fourth daughter from China. And this is uh, Cindy's first week back, so we, I give her a chance to stand up, but we welcome her and her daughter Hannah back to our midst. So God made three promises to Abraham. God had promised Abraham that he would have many descendants. Uh, God promised Abraham that his descendants would have a land to call their own. God promised Abraham that they'd have, that they'd be, they would be a blessing to the nations. And so here we have Israel about to migrate into a new country, into a new land. The problem is, they're right on the verge of entering the land. The problem is that land already has people. So they're going to have war. Now, God's promised them land. But in order to take that land, they have to go to war. It's a terribly scary time for the people as a whole. Once before, their forefathers had come to the edge of the land. And they saw the inhabitants. They saw how great and glorious the land was. But they saw how fearsome the inhabitants of the land were. And God said, I've given you this land. Go take it. And their previous generation had said, no, we'll die. 
And they wanted to go back into Egypt, back into slavery where they'd been. So for 40 years they had to wander the wilderness, and now here they come up to the edge of the land again. And God says, enter. And the enemy is still there. What are they going to do? And as God calls them to enter, he puts up Caleb. Remember, we saw how God was going to, God sketches out the boundaries. The text sketches out the boundaries for the uh, land for Judah. And then the text identifies all the various towns within those boundaries for Judah. But twice, the text tells us about Caleb. What the text is doing here, or what God is doing here, is putting Caleb up as a role model. It's telling them that if they will live like Caleb, then God will bless them as God has blessed Caleb. It's telling them that if they're going to go into this land and face this fierce enemy, this, this scary situation, they're going to have to be like Caleb to survive. But if they are like Caleb, then they'll thrive. And so what we do this morning is we look at Caleb's life. How is he a role model? How is he a role model for them? And how is he a role model for us? Another text makes it very easy for us, if you have time, to sit down and look at it, read it over. If you just heard it read once, it's not so easy to follow. But notice, there's, only, there's one primary attribute that, that the text highlights in Caleb's life. Take a look at chapter 14, verse 8. Joshua chapter 14, verse 8. He, Caleb talks about the past. He talks about the history. He talks about the last time when their forefathers had come to the boundaries of the land and were considering whether to invade it or not. And they had sent out spies, ten, uh, 12 spies, including Caleb. And Caleb says in verse 8, My fellow Israelites who went up with me to, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. I followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The twelve spies went out into the land and they saw how beautiful the, the Proudus was, a rich land. A prosperous land, a great place to live, but one obstacle, fierce, powerful enemies. And so Caleb says, we all came back, we 12 came back, but 10 out of those 12 made everybody afraid. They didn't focus on the beauty of the land, on the fertile land. They focused on the enemy and they made everyone scared. But I, he said, I followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And verse 9, the text again tells us, On that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, and that of your children forever. Uh, Moses says to Joshua, well, I'm going to give you this land. Why? Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. That's why Caleb is a role model here. That's the feature of his character, because he wholeheartedly follows God. And a third time, chapter 14, verse 14. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Why? Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. As Israel faces the new land and as they face the enemy, as they face the possibility of great prosperity in the new land, but as they face the challenge of overcoming this enemy, then God holds before them Caleb as a role model of how they should live. And how they should live? They should follow God wholeheartedly. 
Now, I want to break that down in three parts this morning. The text breaks it down in three parts. So turn to me, chapter 14, verses 6 to 8. What does it mean to follow God wholeheartedly? Reading from verses 6 to 8. The people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Caleb is retelling the story that we read about in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. They saw the enemy and they saw the land. And the other spies came back, the other ten Israelites came back and they said, the land is beautiful. The land is glorious. If we go there, we could be rich. But if we go there, we could be dead because there's huge enemies. And in Numbers... The other spies said, the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak, some famous proverbial warrior. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. And they describe all the other enemies. And Caleb silenced the people. And he, he took control of the meeting and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. And the other spy says, no, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Caleb replies again, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. He will give it to us. Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. It's not they who will devour us. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And we see the first characteristic here of what it means to follow the Lord God wholeheartedly. It means to follow him in the face of insurmountable obstacles. To follow what God calls us to do, no matter how great, how intimidating the obstacles we face, no matter how fearsome the impediments in our path, it means to follow God. No matter how fierce the circumstance looks, to follow God wholeheartedly means to keep in step with him, even when the obstacles are insurmountable. There is a fruitful land that God calls them to enter. There are fearsome opponents. And the ten spies says, no, we can't do it, they'll kill us. And Caleb says, God is with us. No matter how fierce they are, we will prevail. Caleb is wholehearted in following God. He's willing to follow God into insurmountable obstacles. Notice the second attribute of what it means to follow God wholeheartedly. Verses 10 to 12, chapter, Joshua chapter 14. Caleb has just reviewed the past where they stood at the river about to enter the land. And all the spies were afraid. Now a generation later, here they are. They stand at the river again about to enter the land. 
And Caleb shifts his attention from the past to the present. Verses 10 and following. Now then, just as the Lord promised, just as the Lord had promised him 40 years ago, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. Since the time Moses promised me this land, it's been 45 years God's kept me alive. Israel moved about in the wilderness. Everybody else died, but he kept alive. So here I am today, 85 years old. Now notice how Caleb described himself. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Do you really suppose he's as strong at 85 as he was at 40? Maybe his attitude is as aggressive, but he can hardly be as strong. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. So give me this hill country. He doesn't ask for the flat plains. Give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Do you see the attitude here? He's not 40 anymore, willing to go into battle. Now he's 85. He says, I'm just as tough as I was then. I'm just as vigorous to go to battle. So give me the tough land, the hill country. Give me the tough enemy, the Anakites. Give me the fortified and large cities, and I'll attack them. The Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. And we see here the second attribute of what it means to be wholehearted. We saw his courage in going into an intimidating situation. We saw his courage to attack insurmountable odds. And the focus of the first point was how challenging and how insurmountable these circumstances are. But now we see another feature. The flip side of it is, he could say, look, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I'm the biggest, meanest, baddest guy in the valley. But it's not that. He's 85 years old. He's not young and vigorous anymore. And he says, it doesn't matter. God has promised me this land. I'm going to go. And God's going to be with me. And it doesn't matter that the enemies are giants, that they're Anakites. It doesn't matter that the cities are large and fortified. It doesn't matter that I'm old and frail and weak. I am going to go and God is going to be with me. The obstacles were insurmountable. He is getting old. And yet he goes ahead. Why? Because he's wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus. Wholeheartedly devoted to God. And now we see one more third aspect of his character. For this, we want to jump down. Remember I showed you that Caleb was described and then the land of Judah, the boundaries were, were sketched out. And then Caleb is introduced a second time and then the towns of Judah are sketched out. So we jump down to that last passage, that third, that intermediate passage in chapter 15. Joshua chapter 15. What happens there? Joshua 15 verses 13. Notice. The, the book of Joshua, the narrator re records this. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion of the land in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. 
in keeping with Moses' promise, in keeping with the word of God, Joshua gave Caleb the town of Hebron. Hebron is what the Jews called it. Why does he call it Kiriath Arba? Not just Hebron. Because Hebron is what the Jews called it. Why does he call it Kiriath Arba? Arba was the forefather of Anak. Again, a reminder that Caleb is taking the toughest part, the hardest part. What does Caleb do once he's assigned this land? From Hebron, Caleb drove out three Anakites. Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. Notice the word Anak comes up three times here. Hebron is the town of Kiriath Arba. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out three Anakites. He drove out these three men who were sons of Anak. And the Anakites were the people that had so scared the ten spies that they wouldn't go in the land. And the people got so scared they wouldn't go in the land. And, got, and they said, we want to go back to Egypt to save our lives. We don't want to go into the land because of the Anakites. And Caleb said, no, we can take them. And 45 years later, at the age of 85, Caleb is saying, we can take them. And he's given his land. What does he do? He takes them. This is Caleb. He's wholehearted. He's wholehearted and we see it because no matter how insurmountable the obstacle seemed, no matter how weak he seemed, and even though it had taken 45 years, God had made his promise and, and it took 45 years for God to fulfill that promise. Even though the obstacles were insurmountable, even though Caleb was now old and frail, even though God had waited 45 years to fulfill that promise, Caleb still held to God wholeheartedly. He was devoted to God. He had seen that land, first of all, in the book of Numbers. On the first survey, he said, we can do this. At 85, he said, give me my land before I die. It's time for me to do this. He was given his land and he went and did it even though the obstacles were insurmountable, even though he was old, even though God had waited 45 years to fulfill that promise. This is what it means to to follow God wholeheartedly, to follow him in the face of insurmountable odds, to follow him when we're incapable, whether it be our incapability is because we're old, we don't have the skills, we don't have the, the experience, we don't have the courage, whatever it is, follow God even though we don't see results from following God for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, for 45 years. We follow God wholeheartedly. I knew a missionary, one of the senior missionaries, when I was a junior missionary, one of the senior missionaries was telling me about his story. I don't know why. We were just socializing, and and I asked him to tell me something about his story, his experience. And he talked about going up into the a tribal group up in Thailand, an unreached tribal group, back in, the land, back in the days when these things were in the jungle and things were pretty primitive, and we're talking 40, 50 years ago. And he went and he lived among the people for eight years. And he went home for home assignment, and he was pretty discouraged because he's been there, well, his eighth year he went back home. In those days, you serve seven years and you get one, because all the travel was by boat, so you had to serve seven years before you get one year off to come back to the U.S. And as on his way back to the U.S., he was very discouraged because he's going to have to go and speak at these churches all around the country. And he's going to have to tell them that they've been supporting him and praying for him and giving money for him for seven years. 
And he hasn't seen a single convert. Seven years. And he's discouraged. And he go back, goes back to see one of his professors at Bible college, where he trained to be a missionary. And the, fellow, and the professor said, well, statistically, he said, the average to see a convert in an unreached people group is 16 years. So you've only gone half your time here. Following God wholeheartedly. Insurmountable odds. Following God wholeheartedly when we just don't think we can do it. Following God wholeheartedly when it takes not just eight years or 16 years, but 40 years or 45 to see his promise. Practically, what does this mean? Think of what it meant for the first generation, for the first people who lived in, for the people who, who saw Caleb held up as an example for them. They're going to go into a new land that they don't know, facing a fierce enemy that they think they can't defeat. They're nomads going up against fortified cities. They have a huge challenge ahead of them. And so Joshua directs their attention to Caleb. Caleb stands up. I'm 85 years old. I can do it. Follow me. Later on in Israel's history, this text would have served again an important function. Because later on, Israel got into the land. And God had said, I will give you this land forever if you obey me and if you follow me. But they didn't. And God warned them. And they still resisted. And God said, if you don't follow me, I'm going to throw you out of the land into exile. And they still didn't obey. And God threw them into exile. And then in exile, they had a chance to read the story of Caleb. In exile, they were invited, after a few decades, they were invited to go back into the land. And they faced themselves, they were in the same position as, they were, as the previous generation was. Do we leave this country in exile? We've migrated. We've settled down. We're used to this. We know the language. We know the culture. We're, 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 our lives are settled here. We have jobs. We have homes. We have neighborhoods. Do we leave this land and go back to Israel? Yeah, God gave it to us, and, and God's calling us to go back, but, but it's comfortable here. How do we go back? And they read the story of Caleb. And they look at the insurmountable challenges in front of them. And they see from Caleb's life. He was wholehearted and he faced those challenges. They look at the thought of going back to the new land and they're weak and afraid. And they have the example of Caleb, who is 85 years old and willing to follow God wholeheartedly. They looked... At the fact that they've been out of the land for decades. They don't know the place anymore. It's not their homeland. And they look at Caleb, who had waited 45 years before God fulfilled his promises and followed God wholeheartedly. And some of them went back. Some of that later generation went back into the land of Israel. And the rest were lost to history as Jews. They didn't have the courage. They didn't go back. What does it mean for us? Now, we've seen out throughout all of this that no, God has no longer promised us land. That, that's not where we stand. God promised Abraham three things, descendants, land, and a blessing to the nations. 
And they were at that second stage. They were at the promise of land. But now we're at the promise, we're at the third stage, the promise of blessing to the nations. God has invited us to be a blessing to the nations. What does Caleb say to us as we stand on the verge of evangelizing the world, including the unreached peoples? I suppose all of you know the name Billy Graham. Maybe not so many of you would know the name D.L. Moody. Uh, D.L. Moody was Billy Graham a hundred years before Billy Graham was. Late 1800s, the most famous evangelist in the English-speaking world was D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody. D.L. Moody. Early in his career, he was conducting some evangelistic meetings in Great Britain. And after one of the meetings, he met up with a British evangelist who was there partnering with him, Henry Varley. And Henry Varley had this to say. He said, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. The world has yet to see what God would do with a man fully consecrated to him. And Varley didn't, it was an offhand comment. A year later, he didn't remember it. But Moody never forgot it. As he took the, the ship back to the U.S., he said he could see that slogan written on every one of the planks on, on the board the vessel. And as he would preach the gospel after that, as he would conduct his ministry after that, he would see that slogan written on the walls of all the buildings and the planks of all the floors. The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. The world has yet to see. Well, no, the world had seen it. The world had seen it in Caleb. And Moody decided he wanted to be that man. And he gave his life to it. Maybe about a hundred years before that, there was a man named William Carey. We now call him the father of the Protestant missionary movement. William Carey was a, a really a promoter of missions among the early Baptists. He went to India and gave his life to missions in India as the first missionary, first Protestant missionary to India. Some of you may know this slogan that he devised. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. This is Caleb's life. Follow God wholeheartedly. You see an insurmountable obstacle, you launch out into it. You see your own frailty, you launch out into it. You see no results for a decade or two decades, and you keep working at it until it happens. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I'd add one little caveat. We like these stories about heroes. Because they tell us that it can be done. God can do it. Some of God's people will do it. It gives us hope that it can happen. But the problem with stories about heroes is we look at ourselves and we say, we're not heroes. We can't do this. Or we think, oh, we can applaud the heroes that go out there and do it. But that lets us loose. Lets us off the hook. I'd say this. When they start out, they have no idea how it's going to go. They have no idea whether they're going to be heroes or not. And they don't start out trying to be heroes. They start out with something small in front of them. This week, uh, you know, the prayer guides, I, every week we have a prayer guide in the bulletin. And this week, the prayer guide, one of the chief focus of it for each week, no, no, not the week coming, the week past, don't, won't do you any good this week to look at the, this week's plan. Last week, okay, the week that just ended, that focus was on children. 
children's ministry, Awana, uh, uh, Mustard Seed, Children's Sunday School, and so forth. We don't have to start by reaching the children of a minority group somewhere deep in East Asia where there is no gospel available. That's not where we start. Maybe for some of us who've never worked with children before, all those screaming little hordes in the basement or in the first floor, maybe they seem like anakites in our lives. Maybe that's who we start with. I won't reference the junior high or the senior high. Once you get through the little anakites, maybe you can go into big anakites. And then once you can handle the anakites in this country, maybe then you go handle the anakites overseas. Let's look at something we can do. No, let's look at something that we can't do. Let's look for something that's insurmountable. It's seemingly insurmountable. Maybe it's not a huge mountain, but it's a bigger mountain than we can climb. And let's acknowledge our own inabilities and our own frailties, even in domestic U.S., Let's not start, oh, I'm going to go win some unreached people group. Let's start with something here that seems bigger than what we can handle. Because it's big and because we're not big. And let's start with something and keep at it. Even if it takes more than a few months. Even if it takes a few years. Uh, let's not try to hang in there for 45 years at this point. Let's take something bigger than what we think we can handle. Because it's big and because we're not. And let's give ourselves to it, as Caleb did. In the weeks and in the months to come, we're going to be talking more about the focus. The, the congregational focus we have. And Caleb can lead us into this church focus, this congregational focus. Among the objectives and the focus, we will be calling for some people to give up their vocation for vocational missions, as Jason and Ella did. That's a huge mountain. We will be encouraging some people to keep their vocation and change their location and go overseas in some underserved area or even urban U.S. in an underserved area and use your vocation in an underserved area to help people who have little access to the gospel, to bring them access to the gospel. Maybe that's not quite as big a mountain, but it's still a pretty good-sized mountain. We'll be calling, inviting all people, all of us, to consider how can we use our current vocations in such a way as to honor God. All right, maybe this is only a medium-sized mountain, but I'm sure there's opportunities each of us has every day where we think, Oh, I could be useful to God here if I dared. But it's intimidating. The situation is intimidating. And I'm not gifted. And maybe it won't happen instantly. But as we look at our focus, let's bring Caleb's example into it. Let's him, use him as our role model. He followed God wholeheartedly. He followed God into the face of danger and intimidating circumstances. He followed God way past what he thought his strengths was. And he followed God even when the results didn't come immediately. 
as we think about our lives and our vocations over the next weeks and months, let's make this commitment that we will learn from Caleb's example. That at the end of our lives, we will be able to say about ourselves, whatever we've accomplished, wherever we've done it, in whatever vocation we've done it, that we followed God wholeheartedly. Let's pray together. Father, we have your spirit. We have your word. We have the example of Caleb. Use these in our lives. That in whatever way, in whatever circumstance, this might be true of us, that we follow you wholeheartedly. No matter how intimidating our circumstance, no matter how many weaknesses we have to overcome, no matter how long it takes, may this be true of us, that we follow you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen.